0: So, if you got your Bibles this morning, uh, we'll go to Acts 17. Acts 17. And we're going to start off at verse 16 this morning. And like I said, this is going to give us some context to that passage, to that verse. In Him we live and move and have our being. So, verse 16, we're going to start. If you got it there this morning, you can yell out. If you got it, give me an amen or something. Amen. Come on, you can do better. Let's just, let's just imagine we're in an African-American church, just for a second. I just want you to, let's just pull it back. Let's just, let's just, we're there right now, and we've just turned to the Word. Now, I need you to give me something better than that. Give me an amen. Hallelujah. Come on. All right. Amen. All right, here we go. Verse 16, it says, While Paul was waiting for them, them being Silas and Timothy... While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Here's Paul, and uh, he's moved from uh, Thessalonica to uh, Thessalonica. We'll just stick with that. Uh, And and he's moved from there to Berea, and now he's in Athens. And uh, he looks around. He's not going to stay long in this city, but he's waiting for Silas and Timothy And as he looks around this city, he's distressed in his spirit uh, because the city is full of idols. And an idol is something that we put on a pedestal. It's something in essence that can replace God in our lives. It's something we become dependent upon. And it's something that we look to instead of looking to God himself. And so Paul looks around in this city of Athens and And he's distressed in his spirit because he sees a city full of idols. That word distressed literally means that he was provoked in his spirit. There was something on the inside of Paul that was provoked when he looked around. I don't know what you see when you look around, when you look at our city, the city of Frankston or the city of Melbourne. I'm not sure what you see, but when Paul looked around at this city, He was provoked in his spirit because he saw people living short of what God had called them to. He saw a city that had settled for idols, for man-made things, man-made carved images they had settled for. And Paul is stirred in his spirit. God is doing something on the inside of Paul. You see, when God grabs a hold of your life, all of a sudden you can't just look around you uh, at your city, at people around you and, and just be okay with that. When God gets a hold of your life, all of a sudden you'll begin to see situations and people and the spirit of God will begin to provoke you. And that's what he was doing in Paul. Paul. He saw this city, it was full of idols, and you know, today we have our modern-day idols. You know, I think about even football, for example, and I love footy. I grew up playing footy, Uh, go for the Western Bulldogs. Uh, You know, good chance we'll win the premiership in 2016, just going to put that out there. Uh, I'm a faith preacher. Uh, But... uh, you know, when I think about footy, I love footy, but footy is an example, you know, people will, will give their lives for this thing, you know, and, and, and literally communities, they, they stake their life on football, and I love football, but, but without realizing it, we can have these modern day idols that literally, you know, just consume our world, and they become our God without even realizing it, you know, sometimes we just need to s- step back from these things that we're really giving our worth to and our lives to. You know, when you think about it, I mean, it's a group of men running around on a field chasing a leather ball. It's like, and we fill stadiums and, and, and people go crazy, you know, and when it comes to grand final time, you know, the media build it up. It's like a battle of the gods between these two teams. And And, and, and when we just kind of strip it back and actually think about it, it's like, just a few blokes chasing a leather, a leather ball. And, and often what happens in our society is that we, we build up things, we esteem things, and they can become idols in our world. And so Paul is in the midst of a city that was religious but broken, a city that was accustomed to service in the temple, yet they're in desperate need of a savior. You know, when you consider the lengths that Paul went to for people, you have to realize that God had shown him something in his heart he had seen heaven on earth and so when Paul saw situations and circumstances that didn't match up to what he saw in his heart it caused him to be a man that would lay down his life he was provoked in his spirit because God had touched him and you know I think you know not all the time sometimes we're just doing life and, and we don't really think a lot about those around us. But I know for myself that there are moments where I stop and where I feel the heart of God. And, and, and I feel what I believe Paul felt when he looks around and sees a city full of idols, full of things that can steal our attention from God. You know, we might not have the same idols of silver and gold these made, man-made images, these statues that they worshipped. But you know, our idols, the things that steal our attention, they come much more sophisticated, much more subtle. Things like iPhones and iPads, our, our possessions, even our own bodies we can worship, even creation we can worship. And so Paul in this passage, as he's, uh, he, he begins to address these people, these religious people, and he's helping them to draw away from their worship of just the created things. And instead of worshiping the creative, the created things, that, that they would instead worship the creator. You know, these things like iPhones and iPads and all that, I'm not saying that's, that in and of itself is bad. Stuff, having stuff isn't bad. It's just when stuff has us. That's what we got to be careful of. And you know, even in church life, we can be, You know, we we can get caught up in thinking a new program, a new structure, a new thing. That will be the thing that, that, uh, you know, is the answer in my world. And so Paul here is addressing these people. And I think part of the reason that Paul was distressed was because he saw a religious culture that was just so complicated. Their temple system, their offerings, their sacrifices, it was just so complicated. And it was never meant to be that way. And so if you look in verse 22, or verse 21 gives us a little bit of context to the kind of uh, people that Paul was addressing. In 21, it says that all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. And so this is the kind of culture that Paul is addressing. And verse 22, it says he stood up in the meeting of the Arab. Areopagus, Areopagus, there we go. And said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And He is not served by human hands as if He needed anything because He Himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. That last part where it says, and everything else, in the New Living Translation it says, and He satisfies every need. What an incredible truth in the midst of a city full of idols, that our God is the God who gives all men life and breath and satisfies every need. See, the people of Athens, they were religious, they were busy in their service for God, but they didn't even know who their service was to. It was to the unknown God. They were caught up in this religious cycle of bringing offerings to this God, hoping that they would appease this God. You see, the religious notion of that day was that that they would bring their offering and somehow they thought that that their God would consume it. You can imagine these silver and gold images that they had created, men had carved and created with their hands and they would bring these offerings and sacrifices, these feasts, and they believed that their gods would consume them. It was kind of like, leaving out milk and cookies for Santa. And so the more milk and the more cookies that you leave out for him, the better presents you're going to get. You might want to take this, this down. You write this down as we go into Christmas. So, so you know, it's just like what, whatever I can bring to my God, the, the, the better my offering, the better my sacrifice, the, more, the, the, the better my lamb, the better that it is, the more it's going to please my God. So they would, they would bring their offerings. But if life, if life didn't turn out well, well, maybe, maybe my offering wasn't good enough. They never really knew this God. They never really had an assurance in their heart of what He was like. So they would keep bringing, thinking that if, if, if He's happy with my offering, then life will go well with me. But the only problem is they would bring their offering and then life would continue to go bad. And you can just imagine them thinking, did I not cook my offering right? Did I not, did I not do it right? Is, is my God gluten free? Does He have a lactose intolerance? How do you please this God? And so they would bring these offerings believing that somehow this God would, would be pleased. And yet they didn't even know who they were bringing their offering to. Without realising it, we need to be careful because we can slip into a cycle of bringing offerings and, and before long we find ourselves on the same altar, the altar of the unknown God. Sometimes we need to just stop and we need to find our first love again. In Matthew 11:28, 28, Jesus speaks to a similar crowd. They were busy and religious. They were weighed down. And Jesus said to them, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Amazing. God wants relationship with us. He draws us into His presence so that we might learn how to live life in Him. In verse 26, it says that from one man, He made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And He determined the time set for them. And the exact places where they should live, God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. And so here Paul is—he's addressing these men in Athens. These—it was—it was a a court that he was addressing, which was the the Areopagus. Uh, it was a chief court of about hundred officials, and 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 their role was to listen to a new idea, and they would give authority uh, uh, on whether that uh, religion uh, would be authorized in the marketplace. And so Paul is talking to these guys. They're listening to him as he's introducing to what they believe is just a new idea, but he is speaking to them about who this God is. And so he speaks how God is the creator. He created heaven and earth. But now he says that God isn't just the creator of heaven and earth. Our God is also a personal God. He's a sovereign God. He actually determined where you would, where you would live, the exact places you would live, the times that you would be born. He, he, he determined when you would be born in history. And then he says that God did this so that men would seek him. And reach out to Him and find Him. And so Paul's addressing these people who only know the unknown God. But he says, our God, the true God, the God you don't know. He actually is a God who wants to be sought. He wants you to seek Him and He wants to be found by you. This is an incredible revelation because they've lived their lives giving offerings to an unknown God, never knowing if they were pleasing Him. And now, now Paul introduces a God that can be found, that wants to be found, that wants to do life with us, to be in our world. And he says, actually, He's not far from each one of us. And then he says in verse 28, for in Him we live and move and have our being." And so he connects it all and says, it's in this God, in this connection with him, that our, we, ha, we find our very existence, our reason for living and moving and, and, and for finding and having our being. It's found in him. Without this connection, we have nothing. So our theme for the year ahead is in him. And it's all about rediscovering the simplicity and the power of a life that is lived in Christ, in His Word, in His presence, in the midst of a culture that's full of idols. You see, the cross is simply an invitation for us to not do life in our own strength. It's an invitation to live life in Him, to put your faith in God's offering rather than your own offering. These people would would put their faith in their offering, believing it was their offering that would appease God. And now Paul speaks about a God who who gave an offering, who gave His Son, and and, and the essence of the Gospel is don't put your faith in your own offering, put your faith in the offering that God gave, the offering of His Son, because it's His offering that sets us free. It's in Him that we find our life. You know, I, I just kind of want to finish what I'm chatting about uh, with a story from a scene from a movie. I don't know if anyone's seen the movie Blended. Hands up. Has anyone seen that movie Blended? A few of us. Um, it's an Adam Sandler movie, Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. If you don't like Adam Sandler, you probably w- won't like it because all these movies are the same. Uh, but I like Adam Sandler. And so it's, it's, a, good, it's a good family movie. And so, uh, in, in, basically, to give you a little bit of the story, Adam Sandler plays this guy called Jim Friedman. Uh, and Drew Barrymore uh, plays this woman called, I think it's Lauren Reynolds, I think her name is. And so, basically, when the movie starts out, this guy, Jim, his, his wife has died, and he's left as a dad with three daughters. And so, his eldest is about 15 or 16. And then, From there, it's like 12 years old and then maybe nine years old. So he's a dad with three daughters. And uh, Lauren, uh, when the movie starts, she has just come out of a divorce. And she basically is is the sole carer for her boys uh, who are also, you know, young, probably early teens. And so the movie kind of starts out. I won't give you all the details, but the movie kind of starts out and uh, through mutual friends, Jim and Lauren find themselves on a blind date and Jim hasn't dated since his wife passed away. Lauren hasn't dated since her divorce. It's a blind date and it's really just a recipe for a disaster. Uh, they're both awkward because they haven't dated in so long and so they try and do this dating thing. and it, It's just a disaster and so it kind of ends and they, they kind of just hate each other in a sense. Just hate each other's guts. Don't want to be near each other. Through a series of events, these two families, without even knowing it, find themselves on a vacation in Africa. And it's only when both families get there that they realize that the other family's there. And so there's a bit of tension because both these families find themselves in Africa. But what tends to what what kind of happens over this uh, this vacation is that Lauren who's the mother of these two boys, she begins to befriend Jim's daughters. And what do you have to understand about Jim's daughters? Jim, he's, he's a single dad. He's just a blokey bloke, loves sport. He works at a sports store. He named one of his daughters Espen after his favorite uh, TV channel ESPN. And uh, he's just, you know, he's his girls. Um, have tomboy haircuts just they go to the same barber as dad they wear track sport tracksuits like dad so he's just you know it, it's funny to watch so so they're on this vacation but lauren sees the eldest daughter hillary and she sees something uh, a beauty on the inside of her and and What's happening is Hillary starts to have a crush for this guy, but she doesn't have any confidence in herself. You know, she's got this tomboy haircut. She's dressed as a boy. And so Lauren, the mother of the two boys, befriends her. And on one day she takes her out gets her hair done gets her a proper haircut gets hair extensions gets gets a makeover done and there's this one scene that happens after this has all happened and jim has no idea that lauren's taken hillary out to get this makeover and so this scene unfolds where both families are are sitting down at the dinner table Uh, they're about to eat and and uh, hillary walks in after this makeover and, and, and the, the camera kind of, you know, goes to Jim and you see his face, the, the face of this father who at first is shocked because he doesn't even recognize his daughter. And then he moves from shock to anger and you can see it all happening in one moment because in that moment he realizes as a dad there's this kind of what's happening moment, uh, a, a letting go moment, uh, my daughter's growing up, moment if there's any parents in here and you've experienced what it's like to have your your kids grow up you would understand this transition there's this this moment going on and for the the next few scenes jim has got a process his daughter uh dating a guy he's got to process this this letting go and you know when i when i think about this scene it makes me realize how sometimes in life things happen which help us to realize we don't have as much control as we think we do. You see, there will be moments and things, transitions and and times that happen in our life that cause us to realize I'm not as, as in control as I think I am. And so, you know, part of us living in Him is realizing that we have to be a people that learn to embrace these moments where sometimes life isn't going to go the way we think. And really in those moments, it's an opportunity for us to live in Him. It's an opportunity where we feel like we don't have control of the situation to realize that God is in control. You see, in verse 26, uh, it says that, from one man he made every nation and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Maybe, just maybe, our God is in more control than we think. Our God determined when you would be born. He determined where you would live. He did this so that you would seek him. And sometimes we try so hard to get away from the place our circumstance to get away from the place that we live not realizing that God in his sovereignty has established us in this moment in time and in these places that He set us in for a reason and sometimes we try so hard to to move away from 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 a season maybe of isolation or a season of rejection or a, a hard season, a wilderness season, somehow thinking that it's not part of God's plan. But God allows times and places for a reason in order that we would seek Him and draw near to Him. I believe that as we go into a new year and we're learning to live in Him, we need to learn what it is to surrender to let go. What do you need to let go of to live a life in God? Maybe it's control. Maybe it's surrendering what we believe are our rights or even our goals and our dreams. Letting go of trying to do life in our own way. You know, we need to learn to live, live life in a way where we hold things lightly. You know, I'm even aware of that with Kelsey, that, that we have this little baby. But, but ultimately, there will come a time where she will grow up and, and she will, you know, do her thing and start her own family. And, and so we need to be people that learn that if I'm going to live in God and I'm going to live in Him, I have to learn to let go. I have to learn to let go of control. The Bible says that when you lose your life, you will find it. God's got you. He determined your exact times and your exact places that you would live, and He hasn't forgotten you. Sometimes He just lets life take its course so that you remember that it's in Him and only in Him that we live and move and have our being. Why don't we just close our eyes? I'm just going to pray.